of course there's a valley of dry bones because they get whooped on all the time. Hi, friends. This is Under God. I'm Isaiah Lewis. And I'm Jackie Newsom. And we are two outsiders who are coming together to question the text and build community together. Thanks for listening. Thanks. So today's scripture is going to be Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're going to read verse 1 through verse 17. So I just want to do a quick reminder of how this podcast works. So we do Lectio Divina, which means that we uh, read the scripture, we then give a moment of pause to reflect on what we've read, and then we sort of do this shout out thing where we talk about what stands out to us. We try not to talk over one another, so that's why it maybe doesn't feel as (laughs) organic. (laughs) We try to give each other room to say their words. And then we give context, background, information, for the scripture that we've read, because we think it's really important in order to think critically, accurately, have air quotes, good theology to talk about the context. And then we read it again. That portion may not end up in the final cut, but then we read it again, we reflect again, and we sort of talk through the text and we discuss. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's the plan. So a couple reminders, we use the Common English Bible the CEB, we use that translation because we think it's the most accessible. We pick our scriptures from the lectionary. So there are four scriptures available to us and we pick one of those. We alternate. So this week I picked the scripture, so I'm going to read it. Another reminder, we're in the Lenten season. And so in my view, all of these scriptures are going to have something to do with Lent and are going to somehow tie back to Jesus and the cross. Isaiah, can you give us a quick summary of what Lent is? Sure. So Lent is the 40-ish days that are leading up to Easter when Christians celebrate Jesus's death and resurrection. This is the main thing that makes Christians Christians is believing that Jesus was God and also the Son of God and that God came down to be with us and to die for us and to rise again for us. Lent is the period in which we kind of reflect even more intently on turning away from the things that we know that God doesn't want in our lives and in our relationships with each other and with God and really turning in reflection towards Jesus in various ways. Is that a good explanation? That's an awesome explanation. So we will sometimes go really hard on the biblical text. We will sometimes rip it apart, have really hard questions. We are always seeking and looking for the good news in the text. And so if you're ever listening and you're like, man, they're being like negative Nancy's about it, just wait to the end or fast forward to the end because prayerfully we get to a place of being able to tell you all the good news of the text. And I think every single episode we've recorded thus far, we get to the good news of the text. So there's always something good we can find in the scriptures that we work through and grapple with. And one of the things that I really love about reading scripture is the way in which we can bring our whole selves to it. So, you know, the number of angry psalms there are, for example, the entire book of Lamentations, the number of prophets who throw some sort of hissy fit, you know, when talking to God, like there's room for all of it. Part of the good news is that I can be real with God and I can be real with my friend. That's one of the things that I I love about doing this podcast. 
word. I think the last disclaimer I wanted to give or reminder I wanted to give is about our benediction, which is a blessing, right? Going out. And our benediction is a mashup of two sayings from our two church traditions. So shout out to the Reverend Dr. Michael C. Neighbors from Second Baptist Church in Evanston, Illinois. That's 1717 Benson Avenue, downtown Evanston, for my portion of the benediction. And my part of the benediction comes from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Chester, West Virginia, home of the world's largest teapot. And my mom was the preacher there. She still is. So this is Ezekiel chapter 37. We're actually going to read verses 1 through 14. So the lectionary text tells you to read until verse 17. But we think it's kind of a strange place to stop since it's kind of getting into a different prophecy. So we're going to stop at the end of the Valley of the Dry Bones prophecy. The Lord's power overcame me. And while I was in the Lord's spirit, the Lord led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. The Lord led me through them all around. And I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor and they were very dry. The Lord asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. The Lord said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaimed to these bones, I'm about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you, and you come alive, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just what I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. The Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one, say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as the Lord commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. The Lord said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now, prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves. My people, I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment here to pause and reflect. Isaiah, I'm interested in what stands out to you as... I read, every time I read, I got really hyped around the same part. So I'm really interested in what stood out to you. I don't know. The way that you read that just kind of filled me up. So the thing that stood out to me in the way that you read it in particular is my people. Um, I feel like this is weird, but what stood out to me reading it was verse two, very dry. 
like, I was like, what? Not just dry, very dry. <laughs> yeah. The use of human one in this translation, or I read like a, the King James version, which was son of man. Mm-hmm. But that stood out to me. Valley. And then, of course, the breath and the breathing. God asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. Like that question and response stood out to me. The four winds. That's verse nine. Multiple times saying, I will open your graves. I've spoken and I will do it. Verse 14. Then a great quaking and the bones came together bone by bone. It's like, yeah, that would be loud. And Oh, I don't even think about that. Ew. Sinew. But that's like the muscles and the like tissues and all that stuff, right? Yeah, it's like tendons. Yeah, so that's like a really detailed word. Obviously, I keep tripping over it. But that's like a really... That's like the level of... Right, it's like to add that word in there, it's one thing to be like, and the bones came together with the skin it's another thing to be like and the tendons the muscles and the tissue my version of the context is like how do we get to this place well ezekiel is a priest understood as prophet i feel comfortable using those words interchangeably as it relates to him i think his priestly nature is relevant just because of his like knowledge base right and perhaps a a nod to his piety and then the prophecy is important because of God speaking to him and telling him to speak to others. Mm -hmm. So my understanding is that the Babylonians come and try to destroy Israel. Yeah, they super succeed. (laughs) They didn't just try. (laughs) Yeah, they were great at it. And Ezekiel is one of the first people that they take into exile. And so he's taken from the land that he was living to a different land. And so he's like, gets to that land and he's like groaning about what's happening. And then God starts talking to him. So the first half of Ezekiel is all of this really like condemning, terrifying, like the people of Israel, like everything's going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be terrible. And chapter 37 is from like the second half, if you will, of Ezekiel, which is more of a hopeful, like full circle. God is still with us sort of portion of the text so feels like weekly reminder that like what we say is the holiest book is written by a bunch of people who are like constantly losing like constantly being crushed by other people and other empires and i feel like that's really 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 important like like our bible is written by losers and that for me is a really foundational way of understanding reality because when i say loser what i actually mean is like if god is with the people who are being crushed by empire what does that mean about empire right Mm -hmm. what does that mean about how things actually are this is happening 546 546 that's when it's happening i have okay this is what i have 587 bc is a turning point ezekiel moves from prophecies of doom to prophecies of hope yeah that's what lamon told me in 2016 maybe (laughs) Yeah, I'm impressed that you have those notes. I most certainly do not have my notes. Your girl's a hoarder. <laughs> so what's really interesting about this is that 
as Jackie was saying, the book of Ezekiel is written during the Babylonian exile. And the way that this kind of thing usually went down is that that a nation's god was understood to like protect that nation, particularly in war, right? And so if another nation or empire goes up against you, and remember like Judah is really small, really, really small. They're not actually a foreign power so much as they are a checkbox on the way to conquering other nations. And so really the fact that we are reading any of this at all and understanding God to be with these people in particular is in and of itself a massive theological shift in perspective, particularly for the ancient Near East. Like that's a really big deal. It's like saying the center of the universe is with these underdogs right here, right? So that's huge. But the second thing is that even within um, the people of, of Israel and the people of Judah at this time, there is this pretty common understanding that like God protects the nation. And that gets really disrupted when they get trounced consistently, right? First it was the Assyrians. Now it's the Babylonians. The Babylonians, it's an even bigger deal because they have, they've destroyed Jerusalem, not once, but twice. Um, that's where God is in effect thought to live. So it can't be overestimated how big of a deal it is for them. But also, all of these people who know how to read and write, all of the priests, all of the anybody who has any type of political or religious clout has been like hauled off to Babylon. And typically the way this goes is, well, if your nation's God beats my nation's God, that means my nation's God either is weak or doesn't exist. So your God wins and like basically we have to follow your God now. And so the the huge theological shift here that's happening in Ezekiel is this sense that like actually our people are destroyed, are kidnapped, all of those things. Like our God is actually bigger than that. Our God is so big that like God is actually even in control of these other people who don't even recognize God. And that is mind-blowing. That's a huge, huge shift. That's really bold. Um, and the way that, like, Jeremiah handles that is talking about, like, theologically, because, like, people still have to make sense of all of the trauma and devastation that they're experiencing. Jeremiah says, like, well, this is about obedience and disobedience. Like, we weren't obedient to God, and so God is punishing us. Like, and there's, you know, there are plenty of folk out there who still have some of that mindset, myself included. I struggle against that. But Me too, me too, me too. But, like, it's important to note that, like, ultimately this move at the beginning is an empowering one because God isn't just weak or non-existent. God is still in control. And if God is still in control and still cares about you, even if God is mad at you, that means that there's some way to turn the ship around. And even that- when we lose. Right. It's a theology that I loathe. I just absolutely hate. And I hate that I believe it sometimes. But it's like, well, even when bad things are happening, God is still in control. It's like, ew. Yeah. Like, there's a way for that to be super punitive, and you see that in Jeremiah, right? And you see that in Ezekiel, although for Ezekiel, it's a lot more to do with, like, God's holiness and maintaining the holiness, the purity of God's name. Because he's a priest, he's very, very concerned about 
holiness, right? But it also matters to know that like this move was unprecedented and even if it's not liberating today, it was a step towards liberation then because... And it was a greater faith statement, right? And it was it was a greater statement of belief and being rooted in who the God of Israel was, yeah. right? Versus like jumping around and being like, well, guess it's not you, guess it's not you. Which is why context matters so much. Yeah. Because when we use that type of theology today, it very quickly gets or becomes problematic. But understanding how that came to develop then can, can really help us one, read the text differently, but two, un- like, understand God in a new way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, like, the reason why Ezekiel is so mad about people not understanding God's holiness or not having this confidence in God after this, this utterly traumatic, devastating thing has happened is, like, this is the God who will save you. Like, not the oppressor's God, not the empire's God. Like, all, all they doing is is crushing you and this god is going to pull you out of that capital letters like yahweh right the one who got us out of egypt like the liberator who's consistently been pulling us out of these oppressive situations like we have to remember like that is our god this god of justice this god of liberation um that is what is holy here and that's what we have to focus on and at the same time right like you're still talking about like for the first five, 28 chapters, like Ezekiel's going hard about how mad God is at, at the people and how destroyed the people are. I don't think that we have to read that as like, that is literally the case that like, that God is in fact doing these things. Like this is Ezekiel's perception of what's happening. It's his way of making meaning out of a truly traumatic situation, but it's still is in there and so we we can't we can't dismiss it either i'm gonna read it because this is like this is hard so i'm in chapter five i'm gonna start at verse five um and i'm gonna go to i'm gonna stop at nine at the end of nine the lord god proclaims this is jerusalem i have set her in the middle of the nations and surrounding countries but she rebelled against my case laws and my regulations with greater treachery than these nations and surrounding countries who also rejected my case laws and didn't follow my regulations. Therefore, the Lord God proclaims, you have become more turbulent than these nations around you because you haven't obeyed my regulations or followed my case laws. You haven't even followed the case laws of the nations around you. So now the Lord God proclaims, I myself, here we go. So now the Lord God proclaims, I myself am now against you. I will impose the case law penalties on you in the sight of the nations. Because of you, I will do what I've never done before and will never do again, all because of your detestable practices. Yikes. Don't want that, God. Don't like that at all. And don't like the, therefore, the Lord, the Lord God proclaims. Because then it's like, and Ezek- it's not like an Ezekiel interpreted to the, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not the entryway into that portion. Like that, the way this is written feels a lot like, and God said, I'm throwing y'all away. Yeah, totally. And what's our way out of that? I mean, ultimately, a couple of things. A couple of things. One is like, one is that this, 
one is that this is something that like i do believe that god speaks through scripture i also believe that people are processing things and writing down to the best of their ability their understanding of who god is and nobody gets it right no matter what time uh you know doesn't matter if it was you know the sixth century bce or today um it doesn't matter how much confidence i use when i say that i'm writing this thing i think that that we we all only have our own experiences to to use to understand what's going on so that's that's one thing right it sounds like that answer is this is not god god didn't say this kind of but i don't want to that doesn't mean like dismiss it right i don't think that means dismiss it i think we still have to take it seriously i mean it feels like the victim blaming that we do all the time to ourselves as a way of kind of regaining some feeling of control like oh if i hadn't done this Mm -hmm. right if i'd just been better like it feels like a very victim blamey way of trying to cope with trauma um and i don't say that with with judgment i say that with kind of i know that when i myself am very upset about what's going on around me and i'm very upset like it is easier for me to get upset with myself and it is easier for me to say well like god is mad at me Mm -hmm. even if i have tried very hard to steer clear of that kind of series of logical jumps and so i think that's i i think that might be part of it too oh the other thing that i was going to say is like we can look at god's actions ultimately was god consistently spending god's time on doing really it's like trying to bring people to life is that true we have a valley of dead bones we have a valley of skeletons who killed them how'd they die how'd they die probably fighting off the babylonians and and losing right like that's a literal answer like probably they were slaughtered by the babylonians right because god let that happen or no that's the bad theology I don't know. You get what I'm saying? Like, you get where, what I'm trying to process through? Yeah. No, I, I totally do. Because you are currently in the same place that I usually am in every Bible study that I'm <laughs> not trying to lead, like, or whatever. <laughs> like, that's my spot, too. Like, so God let that happen, though? Or, it, like, yeah, which, I mean, and this is a really deep question that is so unfair to try to work through, right? Because then it's, Again, we're back into the power of God and how we understand it. And perhaps I think the best answer in light of our time and resources is we have to understand the context in which people were thinking and processing through what they were perceiving to be God's actions and why at the time. Mm -hmm. And we have to keep in mind, I think, reasonable understanding of like, as you say, this text is written by the losers who are getting their butts kicked all the time. Because they're not that big and maybe not that strong and, you know, whatever else. And they're getting whooped on by the Babylonians. So, of course, there's a valley of dry bones because they get whooped on all the time. But maybe it's misguided to even even engage in the like and God let that happen. Like maybe maybe that's the off point. You know what I mean? Because like we're only asking that question on the basis of how the text is written. But the text is written 
based on people's context, right? And people's lived experience and their situation. And the context and lived experience and the situation here is that for the first time, people are willing to say, even though bad things are happening, my God is still real. Yeah. And why does that have to mean, thus my God is causing it? Or thus my God is allowing it because my God is powerful. Like, but, but again, that's such a deep theological question. Like, can God be all powerful and this still not be God's fault? Is God all powerful? Right? Like, oh, I don't know. Slippery slope. Like, this is dangerous. Do you want my thoughts on this? Uh, yes. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, this is what we call theodicy, right? Like, if yes. God is so big, if God is so good, then why do bad things happen? Like, why do bad things happen to good people? And this is a question that, like, I think for a lot of folks, and I'm definitely one of them, like, this is the central struggle of faith because you can't deny how bad things are for people who you care about. And there aren't only bad things, but there sure are plenty of them. I think ultimately, like, you know, you were saying back in the beginning that this, you know, we're going to read this as a Lenten text. Like we're reading, we're, we're reading this as Christians, right? So, so the, fo- so Ezekiel was not a Christian. Ezekiel was definitely following Yahweh, but he's not even exactly Jewish at this point. We are not Ezekiel. We are Christians. And what we know about God is that God comes down to be with us through Jesus um, to another group of people related to the first group of people, but several hundred years after that, many hundred years after Ezekiel, who are still being oppressed by an empire. Mm. Mm. And God is born to a young woman who is vulnerable and defiant in the face of that empire, grows up hearing about all of these groups who are trying their best to, with political force, with different theological interpretations, and with, at times, just, like, violence, trying to go up against the empire, and, like, all of them are losing and getting killed and being publicly tortured to death, right? So that's what Jesus is growing up seeing. He's seeing plenty of corpses on the side of the road, on hills, whatever. And he grows up and he heals people in the face of that. All of these people who are suffering collectively and particularly. He heals them physically. He casts out demons, all of those things. And he says, none of this is right. The empire lies. You are not who the empire says you are. You are not expendable to God. I am the proof of that. And then he gets killed by the empire. He gets strung up and killed. And then... And then, and then he doesn't stay dead. Everybody's like, everybody thinks, you know, his own disciples are cowering. His mama is bawling at the cross because he's super dead. He's so dead, Jackie. Like, this is not a drill. This is not, I just, you know, meditated so I couldn't feel any of it. No, like, he's so dead. He's destroyed by that empire, just like this valley of dry bones is conquered by the Babylonians. And he rises again. He is alive. His Come body on. is alive. He's got scars. He's like, at some point in that tomb, he might have had scabs, right? Like his body, his physical body is healed. He is alive again. He is not resuscitated. He is unilaterally pulled together by God, by the spirit and made alive and says, this is for you. 
And the empire is still there. And not just the body rises, right? The breath. The breath, the spirit. The spirit. Which he then shares. We receive the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Like his followers receive the Holy Spirit. Body goes up, spirit stays. Spirit will always be with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thou art with me. That's, that's before we even get to Jesus, a promise of in the valley, right? The spirit is with us. And bodies matter. Like bodies are a part of that. The healing of bodies is a part of that. The healing of the whole, the collective, the saying like you who have been conquered, you who have been beat down by the empire, your body matters. And that's part of God's holiness. You know, like Ezekiel's so worried about holiness and it makes sense that he's trying to make sense of God's holiness in a world that says that his God isn't real because it didn't destroy somebody else's, right? I feel like what we see through Jesus is like that God's power just doesn't look like the empire's power. It doesn't look like the force that we want either to like destroy our enemies or to protect us from them. And that's exactly how people felt when Jesus came and wasn't out here just like with a sword left and right, just taking people out. People were like, wait, 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 wait. There was a promise that something else or somebody else was going to come, but you're not, you're not doing this how we thought you were going to be doing it. Right. And they turn on him because that's not what they wanted, which, you know, to be honest, I understand. Like that feels so real to me. I want out of this mess. You're not getting me out of this mess. You're getting me even more into it. I don't want that. And yet Jesus doesn't stay dead. And neither do the bones in the valley. And to your point earlier that we didn't, that we didn't capture on the recording, the community the extraordinarily large group of people, the company, as the text says, the extraordinarily large group of people, they don't stay dead either. Their bodies don't stay dead. Their bodies don't stay harmed, right? Their bodies don't stay torn apart. Their bodies are literally piece by piece put together and their spirits are renewed. So even though I don't have an answer, I'm not prepared to say, I'm actually not prepared to say, that God is all-powerful. I don't have an answer for the theodicy question. But I love 37 of Ezekiel because what it's telling me, what it's promising me is that we're going to be all right, is that we're going to come together, is that the breath, humans, mere mortals, can hear from God and speak into one another and raise us from our trouble. And that our bodies will be taken care of and our spirits will be renewed. Like there is nothing, I was saying this before, I will say it again. There is nothing in this section that we read that I don't like. Because Mm -hmm. there's nothing that doesn't speak to my soul, that doesn't make me jump for joy, that doesn't make me so happy and so grateful and so optimistic. And I don't have an answer for why we got here. I don't like how we got here. I don't like chapter five. I'm not with it. Ain't nobody got time. You know, I always want to win in court. Like, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hear the, like, there's a win in a different way. God is still with you. No, not really with that. But here, this promise, this promise I'm excited about because we see it manifest in the New Testament and we see it manifest on a regular basis whenever somebody steps up and does right and speaks truth to power and is able to hear from God and prophesy and bring folks healing, right, and bring folks a renewed spirit. And that that's who God has always been. 
like that God has always cared about your physical body, that the thing that comes first, right? Like, I'm going to put your body back together and I'm going to give you the spirit. Like, the body is not the only thing that matters, but it matters that this isn't a disembodied faith, that like it matters that you have a that you have a place that is safe, that is yours to stay on. Right. That God cares about that, particularly for the people who have had those things taken away from them. And the and the other point that you made about the communal, the communal aspect. Yeah. 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 Like, yep. God cares about this and this. And guess what? For everybody. Yeah. God didn't select what bones was going to be put back together. Everybody in the valley was made whole. Everybody in the valley was made whole. This idea of being pulled up out of your grave, right? Like, I mean, some of them were just like ex- exposed, like I'm thinking like bleached, like by the sun and there's mm-hmm. some vultures, like mm-hmm. a desert scene in a cartoon, that kind of thing. But yes. like, there's two different times when it says like, that God will raise you up from your graves, right? So, like, some of these are buried deep, too. It's not just, like, the ones that are on the surface that are obviously, you know, dead, but, like... It's like the ones we had a whole ceremony for. Yeah, they've been in there a while, too. Like, yeah. And, and like you were saying earlier, like, you know, we, we can read this as a battlefield, and that makes sense. But dead is dead like there there might have been bones in there that died from something else (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. and god brings all of them to life together i have a friend at mercy who has lived more than half of his life on the street in the last year and a half he's he's gotten a place of his own and that's a really awesome incredible thing it's a really big deal it's also really hard because that's a really huge transition to make and it's not an easy one. It's really hard, even if it's really good. And he's a person that I really admire because he he's just a really interesting guy. He's really funny. Um, he's really smart. He and he's a really good preacher. But it's it's hard. Like it's it's still a struggle for him. Like having housing in and of itself is in some ways a struggle for him. And I have also been struggling with I've been struggling with acknowledging, let's put it that way. I've been struggling with acknowledging some mental health stuff. And a lot of that has been taking place at Mercy in community. And I've felt ashamed at times about how much of my life has been kind of taken up with um, reckoning with with this stuff inside of me. Um, And one of the things that one of my pastors has said to me that's been helpful is to kind of point out um, my friend and be like, do you think that he matters? And I'm, and I'll say like, yes, absolutely. You know, like, do you think that, you know, God loves him? Do you think people love him? I'll be like, yes, absolutely. And he's like, okay, well, he, he was in Bible study. You were in Bible study. He ate lunch. You ate lunch. He cleaned the kitchen and the bathrooms. Like, you clean the kitchen and the bathrooms. So, like, if he's worth something, then aren't Mm. you? Mm. Right? Like, God loves us particularly, and God heals us whole, both of us, together. And, like, our relationship with each other is part of how both Mm -hmm. of us end up healed. I love hearing what he has to say, and, like, 
I really look up to him. And also, like, from our conversations, it seems like he, he likes talking to me, too. And, like, I think it matters to him that I'm there. So, yeah, like, we're both being raised up out of our graves. And we're being raised up out of our graves that are different graves, but together. That's so good. And honestly, again, because I'm me, so timely, hashtag Corona. Like, we are all connected. This matters. We all matter. Like, there is no accident that the language, whether you're going to read the King James Version or the CB, like we read, the language I'm referring to Ezekiel is human, mere mortal, son of man. Like you, you regular person, you have the power to engage community, to help someone else, to bring people together, to bring people to life, to meet needs, to heal souls, to bring forward breath. You and my obsession with like the four winds reference is like, not just from the north, not just from the south, like everywhere. Like like you can't get more communal than God being like from all directions. Yeah, and, like, throwback to last week when we were talking about John 3, like, no one knows where the wind blows, right? It blows where it wishes. I feel like there's even a sort of connection there. Like, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about, like, this fundamentally uncontrollable thing that, like, God's, it's a chaotic good. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We didn't talk about coronavirus do you think that there's any connection that we need to be talking about? Like, I mean, I think the connection is the communal one. It's the how we treat one another, how we support one another. It's, it's about the helping, right? It's, it's one regular human being being obedient to God, you know, being in the valley and speaking over people's lives, right? Helping people and, and encouraging like the spirit to reside again. So I think that that will manifest in very tangible ways and is manifesting in very tangible ways in light of the coronavirus. And I think the directive um, is to one, remember community and to remember how we can still be in community with one another. Mm -hmm. And I think if you are empire, corporations, big business, et cetera, and you have resources, it's to be thoughtful about how you're using those resources. If you are, you know, thinking of yourself as an individual person, I think this has something to say about not hoarding potentially, right? Don't buy up all of the whatever so others can't have it because you're worried about you. Because this is this is communal. This is about everybody. Everybody needed to get up. Everybody needed the healing. Everybody needed to be put back together. Everybody needed the breath. Last night I was pretty freaked out because I was watching a lot of news. And like, I'm not sure exactly what it means to say like God is bigger than death as god is bigger than the fear of being decimated i don't know what that means but it feels worth saying anyway that like that god is is a lover of life and brings life and doesn't just bring life to some and really really cares about the losers Mm -hmm. the people who are being oppressed the people who are being who are the first to be let go off the job or Mm -hmm. the people who don't have a place to stay because the shelter is now closed, like that God brings life starting with the people who the empire tries to wipe out. So I don't know what that means in that this moment, but I think it's an important thing to hold on to. I agree. And God asked me, human one, 
Can these bones live again? And I said, Lord God, only you know. So, human ones, go. Live as free people. And you know what? Keep the faith, baby. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. Is three hours enough? <laughs> Listen, I feel like I only have to go to church tomorrow. Like, we've done... <laughs> God, I'm giving you all I have, okay? <laughs> <laughs>